In today's episode, we step away from the Book of Acts on this free text first Friday of the month to learn about baptism. In his new book, Baptismal River, a Bible study by Pastor Richard Davenport, he explains that baptismal theology can be seen throughout Scripture. He analyzes the flood and creation, Jesus' baptism, and other events to show how the Bible teaches us what it means to live a baptized life. Today in this episode, we're going to talk with the author, we're going to learn about forgiveness, and specifically in today's episode, how crossing the Red Sea connects to Jesus' command to baptize. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Friday, September 1st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word thrives thanks to listeners like you, whose prayers and contributions support KFUO's radio ministry. I'm also grateful to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, our generous sponsor. They translate, publish, and distribute Christ-centered materials around the world. I want you to explore their impactful work and learn about how they can help you or how you can help them on their website at lhfmissions.org. But without any further ado, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning, the Reverend Dr. Richard Davenport, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church of Fort Smith, Missouri, and author of the CPH book, Baptismal River. Good morning and welcome to the program. Good morning. Did I get everything right? Uh, uh, f- it's uh, Arkansas. Arkansas. I, I heard the I heard the, the the sigh when I said Missouri, and I thought, uh oh, I messed it up. There is a Fort Smith in Missouri, and I guess for some reason I didn't know I didn't know which state you were calling from. Well, Arkansas. I apologize, brother. Um, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, brother. It is a pleasure to be here. You know what? Before we get anything off uh, off our, our chest for our conversation. I think it's good for us to start our time together in prayer. Would you lead us in that prayer, please? Absolutely. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are given the chance to be together, to study your word, to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of all that you have done through us, for us, rather, throughout the scriptures, that you continue to come to us both in word and sacrament to shower us with your gifts, that we may be your children and look forward to being in your presence forever in eternity. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, today we're going to talk about baptism. Um, specifically, looks like we're going to be going into the Old Testament a little bit, uh, talking about crossing the Red Sea and then connecting that to Jesus's command. But before we do any of that, you know, let's talk about your book a little bit. So you just had a book, a Bible study, uh, produced, published by CPH, um, called The Baptismal River, uh, Studying the Sacrament Through Scripture. Tell us a little bit about that. How'd you approach the task of exploring baptismal theology? Um, So a big part of the task was seeing that a lot of the, the, the texts that we have about baptism and even a lot of what Luther does with baptism uh, looks at baptism almost entirely from the New Testament perspective. I mean, you have Jesus talking with Nicodemus in John chapter three and, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, those, there's, there's certainly plenty to get out of what the New Testament says about baptism, but then you have these little 
places here and there, such as Luther's own uh, flood prayer in in the in the baptismal rite that that he wrote and that we still use largely today, where he he makes these allusions to things going on in the ba- in the in the Old Testament, and even First Peter uh, makes a connection to the flood and thinking, well, there are these places where the Old Testament comes up, but what's really going on back there that we should make these connections? I mean, you look at the the flood, for instance, and I mean, yeah, you've got uh, a whole lot of water, but really, is is that all there is to it? If, if Peter himself thinks that there's that there's a connection there, there there's there's got to be more going on, and so I start kind of taking what we know about baptism from the New Testament and lining it up to what's going on in a number of these events in the Old Testament. And once you put them kind of side by side, you start to see that, oh, well, a lot of the stuff God talks about baptism has actually been how he's done things for a long, long time. And once we start looking at those Old Testament events, we see that he's been not just preparing us, but teaching us what baptism's supposed to do once he finally gets around to giving it to us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, do, do you find that there's a lot of misconceptions out there about baptism? I mean, obviously, we have some theological disagreements between different interpretations of the faith, but even among, say, Lutherans, are there a lot of just challenges or misconceptions that, that people have about the sacrament? I think so, and I, and I think that's uh, a big part of why I think the Old, import, uh, Old Testament is so important um, when you see kind of what what God is trying to accomplish in baptism from the Old Testament perspective, uh, a lot of the ways we use it today, uh, just they don't, they don't really work. And I, I mean, that's especially true when we start talking about, you know, the, a lot of the other Protestant denominations that don't treat baptism as, as much of a, of, of a much importance. Uh, God, clearly makes this a, a primary uh, theme throughout all of the Bible. And there's there's really no way to, to say that baptism just isn't a, a big feature in Christian life. So it's a Bible study, but how do you think it's going to impact readers, right? I mean, w- w- I shouldn't even say readers. I should say participants, right? Because it's so it's a eight session or six session Bible study. I'm sorry, I forgot. I ordered eight. it. I haven't gotten the book yet. Okay, so uh, eight eight sessions, and I'm going to lead my congregation through it. I I talk a lot about the about the Lord's Supper. I don't know that I teach as much as I could or should on baptism. So your study intrigued me when it came across. It was just perfect timing. I'm looking for something to to teach on, and like, okay, here's here's baptism. But more than that. I started thinking about some of the misconceptions, which is why I brought it up. And and if you don't understand the theological connections between, say, the Red Sea and and baptism, as Luther did, as you pointed out, as you as you illustrate for us in your in your study, uh, if you don't see those things, then you start to think, well, it just has something to do with the water. And now every time you see water, it's going to be some sort of baptismal imagery, but that's not necessarily. The case, so it's important to read these things with understanding. Otherwise, we make them into superstitions. I think. Right, and uh, I mean this is this is kind of what I think 
one of the big problems we have as as Lutherans is we we talk about baptism a lot. We we say it's really important. I mean, Luther makes this you know one of the one of the chief parts, and 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 rightly so. But I think our, our the typical Lutheran's understanding of baptism kind of stops with the small catechism. And you know, even Luther knew that that was never meant to be kind of the the end of your study. You're supposed to go deeper into it, but uh, we often don't. And the uh, the language that even we pastors use for it, it's it's a means of grace. And well, okay, but what does that really mean? And you know, that's that's kind of what I was thinking we'd we'd look at today and you know so asking the question right it's a means of a means of grace and so it's i go up to the font and i i have the pastor the pastor pours water over my head and he says i baptize you in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit okay so i get this grace but do i really need it and i think most of the time we don't stop and think about what makes baptism different than other ways that God is acting in grace and mercy? Because, I mean, Sunday morning, right? You get up, you get dressed, you go to church, and in the typical worship service after you've sung maybe your, your opening hymn or, or something, and you have your invocation, the first thing most of us are doing there is confession and absolution, all right. right. So I get up there and I'm, I'm confessing my sins uh, or, or maybe, you know, maybe I'm meeting with, with the pastor throughout the week and, and doing private confession, kind of however you're doing it. But we, we understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sins. And when that forgiveness is proclaimed, it's forgiving all my sins. And if that's the case, then what is baptism doing that I don't already get in confession and absolution? And I don't think we we think that through very much uh, because if if what's going on in baptism is just kind of a repeat of confession and absolution, then we're kind of saying, well, maybe that forgiveness I get in absolution well, maybe it didn't cover everything. Well, that doesn't work. So if that's true, that confession did forgive all of my sins, but then I have this baptism thing and it gives forgiveness too. Well, is that just unnecessary? Do I, is it just, you know, am I just kind of jumping through a hoop? Well, no. Jesus makes very clear, Matthew 28, that this is, part of the job we got we got to teach and baptize well all right if that's what we're supposed to do and god thinks that this is really important and he's giving me forgiveness in it maybe that forgiveness is kind of directed in maybe a a, a different way that's that's kind of what i start talking about is hmm. when we're talking absolution throughout scripture you know we have 
Jesus is going here and there in his ministries and he encounters people. Uh, he, he encounters the, the paralytic, the friends bring the paralytic around and, and kind of drop him through the ceiling. And Jesus has this discussion with the paralytic and the crowds. And what does he do? You know, I, I forgive you. And that's kind of it, right? I, I forgive your sins. And that's usually how we see absolution working. It's, it's all about that taking those sins away. I'm, I'm wiping, wiping the slate clean. You're, 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 anything that you have done has, has been taken away. So now you're, you're clean again. You're, you're righteous again, but that's kind of as far as absolution usually Hmm. goes. So the question we should kind of ask at that point is, well, then what? Well, that's where baptism comes in. It starts okay. telling us, now that you've been forgiven, now I tell you what to do with that. I so I want to interject. Life is like. I want to interject in a couple places because yep. you know you, you you say okay, well, is baptism necessary because we have? Or sorry, obviously you're not saying that. Let me rephrase that. Some people mm-hmm. think that well, baptism is not necessary because we have confession absolution, or at the very least, they're confused on why it was necessary. Mm-hmm. This was my experience growing up, where in a non um, a non-liturgical, non-sacramental tradition. Uh, I was in a sort of a Southern Baptist and adjacent kind of churches growing up. So baptism was something that you had to do. You had to do it a certain way. You had to do it around a certain age, or at the very least couldn't do it before a certain age. And it was very important to God, but they taught very clearly that God did nothing for you through it. <laughs> so baptism ends up being well, a, a law, an ordinance, something that you just have to do. It's important to God. He told you to do it, so you have to do it. Um, I, I obviously don't see that necessarily in Lutheran circles as explicit, but but it definitely is implicit in the way people behave. So in our worship service, we have the absolution and or confession and absolution. And then halfway through the service, we then pray, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, <laughs> forgive our sins. Uh, so it's like, wait a minute, halfway through the service, we're begging the Lord's forgiveness, but we just did absolution. We just had uh-huh. absolution in confession at the beginning. Um, and then you tie that to the fact that perhaps you go to private confession, and then you tie that to the fact that you've been baptized, which is supposed to forgive not only the sins up to the point of your baptism, but 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 offer forgiveness for sins from then on. So uh-huh. So I guess this continual giving of forgiveness through all these different means— while we could see them in a positive way, put a good construction on it and say, wow, look at all the, the means by which God gives us his grace. But I, I sometimes think people think more of a, well, if I can get it one way, then I just, I don't, I'm not going to worry about all the other ways. So either I've been baptized, so now I don't have to come to church or I come to church regularly and I've actually never been baptized, but obviously I'm a believer because I believe. So why get baptized? I run into all those situations. So baptism, even amongst some of our lifelong Lutheran folks or lifelong Christians, can be a really confusing topic. It's up there with prayer, I think, in terms of being confusing on 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 how it how it works. I guess. I agree, and when when we treat it as just well, this is another way I get forgiveness. Then what we're really doing is is losing everything else God tells us about baptism and what it's doing. We we've kind of we set the bar very low, and so we we miss out on on how amazing a gift baptism truly is. 
Well, is there somewhere in the scripture that we could read um, and maybe get started deconstructing some of those misconceptions out in the audience? Where where would you like me to go in the Bible to get started? So I, I think the, the great place is just to, to start in Matthew 28. And this this is a, a great way to, to show kind of how the Old Testament gives us more information about what this is all about. So Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Well, let's get that under our belt, out there on the table, all the little phrases I like to use to say, let's read the Bible. Here we go, verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. That ends the chapter. It ends the book. It, Matthew ends his gospel with the, what we call the Great Commission. Make Go and make, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Now I have to say, whenever I've uh, preached on, taught, or emphasized Matthew 28, I, I tend to have to emphasize the teaching part more than the baptism. Most people, Lutherans, dutifully know that they should be baptized and their children should be baptized. It's the teaching part that I often run into having problems with people understanding that baptism uh, without teaching is like planting the seed of faith or a seed of a flower in a pot and putting it in the closet. And it doesn't get nourishment or light. It's going to die. Uh, but most people see baptism as a get out of hell free card. So hopefully you're going to be able to um, dispel some of those myths. So one of the ways, one of the reasons I think this is a, a good place to start is because it it answers a question for us that we, we probably don't ask all that often either. But Jesus says, here are the qualifications, in essence, of being a disciple, right? If you're going to make disciples, how are disciples made? Well, through teaching and baptizing together, like these two things are, are part of what it means to be a disciple. But if if you stop and think about it, you could ask, well, well, why do I need to be baptized to be a disciple? I mean, this is, I mean, certainly how many of the the, the Baptists and Methodists and and such operate. I mean, they they have the teaching part, but they don't really do much with the baptizing part. And so, you know, what makes baptism important? Why is it a, a factor here? And so, to to answer that question. I think that's where we go back to the Old Testament and see how God has used these this baptismal imagery before and why why Jesus is now referring to it all the way back here. Um, so to look at that, I think we go back to Exodus 14. Um, and I don't think we have to read all of this. Uh <laughs> No, in fact, we've read it recently on this program. We went through all of Exodus. It's been actually, it's been a few months now, but that was a, an amazing study. I really enjoyed it. But yes, yeah, so Exodus 14 is crossing of the Red Sea. Most people remember that. Um, I can maybe refresh their memory. Verse 21 says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand 
and to their left. Later, of course, the Egyptians uh, go after them into the sea, and it says in verse 27, as the Egyptians fled into it, Yahweh threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Um, Thus, verse 30, Yahweh saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, and Israel saw the great power that Yahweh used against the Egyptians, so the people feared Yahweh, and they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. So just a quick reminder of what's going on. You remember they released them, uh, or actually God released them from slavery, but they were still being pursued by their captors, and God saves them uh, by means of the Red Sea. Uh, You're right that the apostles and, of course, the early church fathers and we today connect this incident to to baptism, Um, but I do genuinely think that most people look at it as God saved people with water, the end. But it sounds like you're saying there's a lot more to it than that. Well, sure. So, you know, we think of, right, why did the people have to go across the Red Sea to begin with? And, I mean, we look at the events going on here and, you know, Pharaoh's chasing them and okay. But if we think of Pharaoh as just a a, a, a mighty ruler, then it, it loses some of its significance. And so we, we take into account kind of all of the events that have kind of taken place here in the last several chapters in Exodus. And what has God been doing over all these chapters? So he sends Moses in to speak to Pharaoh and we have all of these plagues. And well, what are the, what is all of this about? And God showing his, you know, uh, his might, his power, over all of the idolatry, certainly of of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but also power over these false gods. Uh, nothing the Egyptians can do saves them from what God is is carrying out here in in the midst of Egypt. Uh, so now the Israelites have been set free, more or less, and so they're they're heading off. But Pharaoh's chasing after them. Well, okay. Well, what is Pharaoh going to do if he does catch them? Well, bad things. I mean, probably bringing them back to slavery. And now if they're in slavery, then they're stuck in this foreign idolatrous land where they're going to be in a life of misery and hardship until the day they die. And thinking about that, again, in the the theological perspective, we see people caught up in in a, in a world of of sin you know what is what is sin doing well it's suffering and misery forever and ever and that's kind of where the israelites were when they were enslaved in egypt so god is releasing them from that so just at the outset if if we're talking the the plagues and and such and then pharaoh setting them free here we have kind of that that same idea of confession and absolution, right? If we're enslaved to sin and God frees us, that that's great. I mean, that's that's good. That is kind of the ultimate good news. I, I am no longer enslaved by sin. I'm no longer uh, suffering the, the the punishment that comes with sin. God has taken all of that away from me. But then again, the question is, well, now what? 
Well, and here's where the baptismal imagery comes in. They get to the Red Sea, and now God is working. God is doing something to say, well, you're not just free. I'm going to give you something to do with that freedom. And what's great there, if you look at uh, verse 13 here, more evidence, right, that it's God who does the work. The people do do nothing to, to make this happen. It says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Like what is just a, an, an amazing yeah, picture, right? I love you do that. nothing. God's got it all in hand. And so he sends Moses to be the representative, his messenger to separate the seas and so the people walk through on dry land, all by the work of God. And God destroys these, this agent of Satan, this agent of death and all of his armies. And all of that is wiped away. And now they're free. But now what are they doing now that they've been baptized, as we might say? Um and that becomes the story of the next, you know, 40 years of their life as they go through the wilderness. And so we think, all right, what is their job here? What are they doing? Well, in an Old Testament sense, they're being disciples. And we can see this by looking at, at, at the gospels and, and what Jesus does is he calls his disciples, right? He walks up to Matthew. He walks up to Peter and James and follow me. Well, okay. I mean, that's very simple command and that's what they do. I mean, that's literally their job. Follow me. Jesus goes here. The disciples follow. They're all like little ducklings, right? Just wherever Jesus goes, they all line up behind him and off they go. And that's exactly what the Israelites are doing here. It's not the incarnate Christ that they're following, but it's still God who is leading them. Wherever God goes in the pillar of cloud and or in the, the, the light of the, the, his glory, that's where they go. God picks up. He moves over here. They know, all right, it's time to break camp. We're following God. Whenever God stops, they set up camp. And so over these next 40 years, God is showing them what it means to be disciples. Follow God. Wherever he goes, that's where you go. And that's the job. That's the, the entirety of what it means to be a disciple, to follow wherever he goes, in danger, out of danger, all of the stuff God's got well in hand as long as you follow him. You noted the beauty in God's reminder to his people, you need only be silent. And while I think we think of such an image having, oh, just having to do nothing for this gift, for this rescue, just sounds wonderful. I think it goes against our nature, though, because I think we want to do something. I think we typically, especially Americans, but maybe it's just a human nature thing, want to reject so-called charity, right, grace, love. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like discipleship in some ways is God's gift to us to give us something to do, to go about the business of being who he's called us to be, because we have nothing to do in um, our salvation, except contribute sin, as Luther might say. But 
you know, do the tables change when it comes to discipleship? Well, no, God's still doing all the work, but it it feels like it's us doing it. In fact, we are doing it. We have something to do. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, so Jesus' command, go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching, that's what we see them doing as they're wandering in the wilderness. God's, I mean, very literally teaching them too. I mean, what is the kind of the first big event that they, uh, they've, encounter as they come out into the wilderness well they're they're in mount sinai they're they're being given the law and so they have the law and now they are starting to learn well what does it mean to live with this law how what does it mean to live as god's people well nobody just knows that uh they they have to be taught they have to be instructed um I liken uh, discipleship to just being a kid, right? How does a how does a kid learn? Well, he watches dad, he watches mom. What do they do? How do they how do they act? How do they deal with these situations? And the kid watches and he imitates, and that's what the disciples are doing in the New Testament. They follow Jesus, they see him teaching, they see him doing these miracles, and then after he ascends, what are they doing? Well, they're carrying on what they saw Jesus doing. And so the Israelites are given the same task. Follow God, learn from him, learn what it means to be uh, the people of God. And so at some point, that's going to be your job is to carry on what you've seen God doing and what what you've learned from him. And so I'll tell you what, why don't why, I'm gonna have to interject because we're a little bit past our break time. I do want to take a sure. break, folks. Don't go anywhere when we come back. Pastor Davenport and I will keep the conversation on baptism going. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Dr. Richard Davenport, pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and author of the new CPH book and Bible study, Baptismal River. Over the air, as a podcast, online at kfuo.org, or using the KFUO app, no matter how you're connecting with us this morning, wherever or whenever you're listening, I'm just grateful you're here. If you have questions or thoughts about the show, or maybe you want to ask our guests something, you can reach out to them or me through my email at pastorboo at gmail.com. 
That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E. Don't forget that E at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook to search for Phil Boo. Well, now, Pastor, before the break, uh, one of the things you talked about was how, you know, no one knows just how to live as God's people. We need discipling. God gives us a job to do. Uh, that's sort of the thought I interrupted. Uh, keep on going, brother. So, yeah, that's in, in order to to live as God's people, God has to teach us what that means. And so baptism becomes one of the ways in which God starts to show us what the life of, of God's people uh, looks like and, and how we come to be a part of it. Uh, so looking at the, the Israelites, you know, crossing the Red Sea, now they've, they've, they've been set free from sin, but how did they get set free from, from sin and slavery? Well, well, God did all of that. Right. And so now they're embarking on their new journey and God's doing everything out there in the wilderness for them too. You know, he provides for them. He's gives them the food they need. He, he takes care of their, their clothing. He, he keeps them safe from enemies and all of this, all of these things that might be worries for them. God, God takes care of all of that. So they're learning again, to be God's people is to be dependent on God and to, to recognize that he's got, all of your needs well in hand. And what's more is to recognize too, that even before they left, uh, left slavery in Egypt, God didn't say, Hey, we're, we're getting out of here. And once we get out of here, uh, well, we're just going to kind of hang out for a while. And, and, and that's, that's going to be kind of life. No, before they even left, they had a goal. They were a place they were going, and they knew that before they ever left. And that's a really important feature of the whole event of the Passover. God made a promise. We're going to where you will live, right? The, the promised land. And where and God even talks about it as if it's a foregone conclusion, right? You're when you get there in the land which I am promised promising you, here's the feast that you're going to to maintain, right? You're gonna keep living and 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 celebrating the the feast of unleavened bread, the Passover. And this is gonna be your celebration in perpetuity. And so God knows this is where you're going. And I'm going to get you there. And how do you get there? Through this baptismal event. Baptism and our time in the wilderness is going to prepare you for the promised land. So that discipleship process is giving you kind of the, the tools you need to, to live in the world, to live in this, you know, place where we are now so that we know what to do when the promised land gets here. I, um, so I, I do want to talk about, um, baptism as a, as something you do, as something that God is doing to you, something that, um, God is teaching you, introducing you. Our Roman Catholic friends talk about it being initiation into the family of God. I had a, I had a listener write in, uh, Carl, 
And he said, uh, I firmly believe these words. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. He says, I believe that someone can possess faith prior to being baptized. I also believe that it's possible for even a baby in his mother's womb and as a baby prior to baptism has been hearing the word of God can have faith. But in either case, adult or infant, I see no reason to delay baptism, as you stated, talking about me, baptize, baptize and then teach, teach, teach. He says, um, the question here really is about baptism as it relates to people who have not been baptized. What about the person, you do, he, the, 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 pardon me, the, the writer wants to make sure you know or I know that he certainly doesn't want to delay baptism, but I sense within this a question of, what about people who haven't been baptized? I think that's one of the biggest questions that often comes up when we talk about baptism. So in the framework of what you're talking about, these were all grown people, whole families, of course, though, who are undergoing this, this event as God leading them out of slavery, and he's going to connect that to baptism and, and then cause them to be discipled from then on. But what about those who don't endure or receive, endure the wrong word, receive baptism today? What, what, what do we say about those people? So I, I think that's a really good question because I, I think that relates to uh, some of the ways we, we misuse baptism today, if I can say it that way. Um, I, I like that passage uh, that, that he, he brought up a, a lot because St. Paul makes it very simple, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of word of Christ. Um, wherever the word is encountered, the spirit is active. We, we know that, right? Scripture makes that very clear. Anytime you are hearing God's word, the spirit is at work in you. And that means that that may be baptism because the, the word, the gospel is, is clearly a part of that process. It, it, it has to be, otherwise the water would accomplish nothing, but the word is active in many places. The word is active. Anytime God's word is, is preached, it's proclaimed whenever God's people are, are praying, all of these places are, are, are just surrounding us with God's word. Whenever you're in the, in the, in the worship service, God's word is, is everywhere. I mean, that's why it's a, the, the current, you know, hymnal, the Lutheran service book is so great because it gives you all of those little notes. Where did, where did the Kyrie come from? Where did the Gloria come oh, from? Yeah. It's got all the, the, the scripture that. notations. Um, so you can see how much of God's word is a part of the life uh, of the church. And so I think, I think it's it's absolutely the case that that people can and do come to faith uh, before baptism, and we always understand. I think that baptism is is a gift, and God wants us to have it. That's I mean, it's Jesus giving the command in Matthew twenty eight. It, it it is a command. He's telling us to do it, but it's the same kind of command uh, that parents give kids all the time, right? I want you to do this because it's good for you, right? Eat, eat your broccoli because it's good for you. Uh, so even though I might think, ah, do I really need this? No, God tells me I do. So I need to trust him and, and do it. Um, well, and I don't, and I don't want to derail your point or even where you wanted to go, but I have one more 
uh, sort of listener question, a uh-huh. kind of a question, but um, this this person they went um, to a non-Lutheran church and was baptized in the Baptist church. And then as they moved from Baptist church to church, they would have to be rebaptized mm. again because um, in that tradition, it's more of an outward declaration of your you know, dedication or decision for Christ more than it is God doing something for you. Sure. So I don't know how many times, but like four or five, six times this person was baptized until they finally became a Lutheran. And as a Lutheran, um, asked about this and their pastor said to ease their conscience well the first time you were baptized all the other times you just got wet <laughs> do you do you do you agree with that pastor's assessment how how can we i guess minister to those people who say well baptism is just something you're doing for god um and so therefore you know you have to do it over and over again or every time you every time you fall from grace or if it gives you forgiveness then why not like the Lord's Supper, or why not like absolution and confession, confession, absolution? Why not do all of these things regularly? Um, is it just because he tells us to do it one time, or is it deeper, more significant than that, that there's only one baptism? Well, and that's that's one of the reasons why I think we need to, to, to stop and think, well, what really does make baptism different? Because, right, if it is just kind of the 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 forgiveness in the in the same sense that we get it from confession absolution then sure i mean whenever i feel like i i need more of that i i should go back but all of the all of the images all of the themes god uses for baptism they are one-time events i mean the crossing of the red sea we get in in the the laws of moses god tells the people do not go back to egypt right this you you went you you left don't go back this was meant to be a one way one time one way ticket getting out and you look at other images like the flood right The, the flood happens once and not only did the flood happen once god promised it would only happen once so if I'm going back to the font, then I'm kind of saying to God, well, I, I don't I don't really think you did it the first time or, or, or maybe you did it wrong or something like that. It's it's a very much a, a declaration to God that something didn't work right the first time. And that's that's never how it works. All of these baptismal images throughout Scripture, they are very clearly it's done once and that's right. it. So, so I guess help us understand the difference between the forgiveness that you receive in baptism and the forgiveness that we receive through confession and the Lord's Supper. So the, the Lord's Supper, so uh, uh, to put it into, into perspective, um, you know, you were you, the, the first question, right? How, how do we, um, you know, how do, can we come to faith outside of baptism? And, and, and I, I think we absolutely can and, and do, right? The, even, even in the womb, if, if mom is in church, mom is hearing the word that you're, you're immersed in the word, you maybe don't understand all of that, but God doesn't, doesn't make understanding a qualification for, for faith. And so just, I mean, this is kind of where, where I like, uh, first John where John says you know, that if, if God declares me a sinner, then it's just kind of a matter of agreeing with him. Yep. I, I'm a sinner. 
And if well, we yeah, say, what else well, can you do? right, well, I mean, I can say, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, and then I'm making God into a liar. Uh, right. That's not a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, agreeing with, with God and, and knowing that I need forgiveness, even if I don't quite understand all of the, what that means, that, that's a very simple thing. It's a very, it just, just that sense of trust. God, God tells me I need to be with him. He tells me that he's going to do stuff for me and I don't understand it, but, but that's okay. I, I don't, I don't have to, to trust him. And confession and absolution is kind of dealing with that, that part of our life. Um, I'm a sinner. God, I need, I know I need your mercy. Please forgive me. And so we were doing this kind of daily thing, you know, all throughout our lives. I'm, I've sinned. I need forgiveness. Uh, and, and God knows that even, even in our uh, admission of our sin, we're not, we're not doing a great job. There are sins that we forget. There are sins we don't even know that we've committed. And so God deals with that too. That's the, going back to the, the day of atonement. And God provides a sacrifice specifically for the sins that the people didn't even know they committed. I mean, God's, God's got it covered. Um, oh, isn't that amazing too? Is I mean, you know, because we can't keep up with all of our sins. Right. Um, yeah. No, I think that is, I think it's, I think it's an amazing thing. And and, and you're right. I, I, that's a helpful distinction in understanding why baptism is, you know, once and, but God provides for the fact that we're going to need a continual, um, I guess, uh, incarnate refreshing of that forgiveness, right? We're, we're very, very tangible people. We want to be able to, to, well, to do something. <laughs> so uh, I do have another question somewhat related, but do you think that, I'm going to presume that you agree with our confessions <laughs> that the mode of baptism um, is not uh, doesn't affect its efficacy. But do you have a preferred mode of baptism? Do you think baptism com- the message of baptism is communicated better, say, by immersion or sprinkling or whatever? What, what's your opinion there? Sure. So I mean, this is this is a a, a helpful question because I we sometimes get tripped up in saying. Well, you know, however, however you receive baptism, you know, whether it's immersion, it's not, it's not as if you're getting more of God's grace or not as if God's grace is working better. And and no, that's absolutely correct. If the water is there and the triune name of God is there, that is a valid baptism. And so there's, it's never really a question of, well, you know, how much do you have to have that that's, it's just a bad question. But as we pastors certainly know when it comes to our preaching, that even if God's word is there, that doesn't mean it's always hitting me the same way. And sometimes different ways of doing things will, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll be able to, to connect with it better. I'll be able to, to uh, understand it better in when things are done, you know, one way versus another way. And so in, in that regard, I do like immersion because it does draw on, you know, those, those big 
Old Testament events, uh, you know, when we're talking the flood, I mean, sprinkling doesn't really give me a sense of being immersed, being, you know, drowned sure. as, as St. or as rather as Martin Luther would say, right? Really drowning the old Adam. Well, a sprinkling doesn't do that. It doesn't, it doesn't convey that same kind of sense. Uh, Romans chapter six, right? Being baptized into Christ's death. I don't really get that from, from sprinkling. It doesn't mean it's not true. It just doesn't mean I don't, I don't see it myself as readily as I would if I were immersed. Well, there's an area where you and I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I, I, my son was baptized full immersion as an infant in the font there at uh, Titus and Timothy Chapel, St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Um, my daughter, however, I baptized and, uh, she was baptized by sprinkling. When I baptize in our font, sprinkling font setup, I was always taught to use just a plentiful amount of water, right? Yeah. So you're sprinkling, but still use a ton of water. We try to warm it up for the kiddos, of course, but it's, uh, but I think it's, I think it's wild. Yeah. You pour all that water. The kid starts crying. The old Adam's fighting against it. You know, uh. I mean, what God is doing full immersion, especially when we think of an adult, that's how I was baptized in a baptismal font, had to go under three times, had deacons on every corner to make sure every part of me went under, you know, it's all about making sure you do it a specific way. It sucks mm. the grace out of it, but right. preferring, but preferring immersion for the sense of getting this real symbolism, not that it's a symbol, but I mean, not that it's only a symbol, but it is a symbol too, of dying to Christ being raised again. Yeah. It is a shame that we, don't embrace that a little more. But again, it doesn't matter, right? You tell us we have to baptize. Lutherans are going to be like, well, I mean, you have to baptize a certain way. Lutherans are going to say, well, we're only going to do it the other way just, mm-hmm. just so that we we can't be accused of being forced to do it. I, I think that's a bad attitude. I think that we could learn quite a bit and teach quite a bit if maybe we were to shift the way we did baptism. But that's a pretty big shift for most congregations. I agree. Uh, it's a it's a a bigger commitment of resources to be able to to do that sort of thing. Unfortunately, but doesn't mean we can't make the effort if if it becomes available. Right. Absolutely. Well, I feel like I've derailed your point a little bit too much with my questions. Uh, what else would you like to? to we only have about uh, about six or seven minutes left. So, what else would you like the people to know about baptism? Well, so. You know, kind of bringing this back to the New Testament, uh, you know, I, I had Romans 6 pulled up here, uh, just the first uh, first couple of verses. Uh, this, this kind of ties us into the discipleship uh, aspect once more. I don't I have that pulled it. up, so if you'll just read sure. it. Sure. So St. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may, ab- may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, And then uh, verse 5 there, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And so again, the life of a disciple, right? What do the disciples do? They, they, they follow God wherever he goes. That's where they go. 
And so that gives me an idea of, well, what does my life look like? Well, wherever God is leading, that's where I follow. And so St. Paul pulls that idea out here in just in a really amazing way, because where does Jesus go? Well, he goes to the cross. He dies. Well, okay. I mean, that's my calling as a disciple is to go where Jesus goes. And that means I got to die. Well, that's kind of a scary thought. And if that's as far as it goes, that's not a good place to be. But it isn't all as far as it goes. Jesus goes to the cross. He goes to the tomb. But then he gets up again. And what am I doing? I'm following him. So if Jesus goes to the cross, well, I, I go to die too. But if Jesus gets up again, what is my job? To follow him. And so if he gets up, I'm going to get up. And now my mm. life as a disciple takes on new meaning. I, I have yeah. nothing to worry about. I don't even have death to worry about because what am I doing? I'm, I'm following where Jesus goes and Jesus is blazing the trail and he goes through death. All right, I go through death, but then he goes through the resurrection. Well, that means I'm going to keep following him. That resurrection is assured because I'm just following right along behind where he goes. And now that that baptismal assurance is is a very real thing. And and confession and absolution, it tells me my sins are forgiven, but it it doesn't tell me a whole lot of well well then what? Well now baptism does. Now that you've been forgiven, you're gonna go through death and the resurrection because you're a disciple. Talk a little more about the pardon me, assurance of salvation we get through baptism, about the purpose of baptism to be an assurance, because that's mm-hmm. ultimately the gift. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. So, you know, there, there, we have this, you know, as, as Luther would say, we're, we're, we're both saints and sinners at the same time. We're always wrestling with the sin that's in us. Uh, it's, it's that daily, you know, process that we're, we're going through where we're war with Satan, we're at war with ourselves, our sinful human nature. And there, there's those days when you're certainly not firing on all cylinders and, and you know, it, God knows it. And, you know, if, you, you wonder, well, if, if today were the day that I was, you know, have a heart attack and I'm in the ground, well, I don't know where I'm going to end up. But baptism makes that a different question, right? I mean, you think of, of Noah and the ark, right? God tells Noah, hey, uh, I'm going to send a flood and I'm going to wipe out pretty much everything on the earth except for you and your family and go build an ark, and you you gotta think that the the kinds of things that are going through Noah's mind as he's sitting there day after day after day building this ark and not seeing any rain clouds, there's no flood coming. So, you know, seeing the the ridicule from the people around him, the doubts: is this actually going to happen? Is this really going to save me? I don't know. But once the flood comes. Once the, the rains subside, once Noah gets out of the ark, he can look back on all of that and goes, well, maybe I doubted before, but now 
Now the evidence of my salvation is right there. It happened. I survived. And so God made a promise that I would, but I wasn't sure about it until after it had happened. Mm. Well, I think that's actually a great place to end it this morning. Such a nice note. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend Dr. Richard Raven, uh, Davenport. Pardon me. He's the pastor of Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, my only guest from Arkansas so far, if I'm not mistaken. He's also author of the new CPH book, Bible Study, The Baptism or just Baptismal River. Check that out on CPH. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Folks, I hope you learned something about God's gift of baptism today. Now join us Monday as we head back into the book of Acts with the penultimate chapter of the whole book, 27. The Apostle Paul is uh, taken as a prisoner to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. A tempest ravages the vessel. He's shipwrecked. All kinds of stuff happened, but we'll talk about that Monday. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.